All right, good morning, church. Good to see you all. We're going to study God's Word, so I hope you got a Bible or got one on your phone or something. You can open it up, turn it on. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be as we uh, study God's Word. Uh, We're really starting a new series. It's Connect Sunday. All kind of exciting things are happening. And let me just echo what John was saying a moment ago. If you're not in a small group, let me encourage you to join a small group. If you don't know how to join a small group, let us help you join a small group. That's what the church is all about. We can't just sit in rows. We need, we need rows, right? Biblical teaching is important, but we need rows and we need circles. We need opportunities where we're exchanging and relating and praying and laughing and growing and telling stories and getting to know each other and applying God's word in rigorous and intentional ways to our lives. That's what small group is about. Uh, loving Jesus and growing in Jesus and making disciples of Jesus and doing that alongside people who know you by name and you know them by name. So I'm excited about Connect Sunday. I hope you're excited about Connect Sunday. Um, We wanna grow stronger in Christ. And really, later on at the end of the sermon, I'm gonna talk about a a season, an emphasis that we're entering into. It's gonna be a two-year emphasis. Our church, as a congregation, we've done a two-year emphasis before. I think back in... 2013 to 2015, we all kind of read through the Bible together and did an intentional plan of of walking through that together. We're going to do that in a fresh way uh, starting now, starting this morning, and that's going to carry us through. And I'll give you a little bit at the end of the message here this morning, I'll give you a little bit of a preview of coming attractions, of things that are coming uh, down uh, in this next couple of years for us. So, but that series, that whole emphasis, our kind of guiding program for that is going to be what God gives us here in this amazing New Testament book, the story of the people of God living on the mission of God, empowered by his spirit, the risen Jesus, enthroned over all, inheriting the nations as the gospel is proclaimed. So that's where we're going to be as we study God's word together. So I'm just going to start by just reading one verse uh, from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the church is promised in verse 8 power. It's promised power power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. When the Spirit is poured out, you'll have power to be my witnesses. That's, that's the basic idea that's there in, in verse 8. It's a promise from Jesus of power in the church. I wonder if you came to church this morning feeling powerful. <laughs> Isn't it true that in our Christian experience, we don't often feel the power that we read about sometimes in the pages of Scripture. When our daughter Ellie was... Um, was a toddler, she would make up songs all the time as toddlers often like to do. And one of the songs that she made up was about power. And uh, she would sing it with great gusto as if it was smack talk. Uh, and yet nobody knew what it was about because she would say, and you be so powerful, you don't. And then she would sing it again, and you be so powerful, you don't. And we're all like scratching our heads. And then the boys kick in harmonies. Uh, and so now we've got the three-part harmony. And you be so powerful. You know, they're going round and round, but we have no idea what does this song mean, right? Is this, is this about the paradox of the Christian life? Because, you know, you think about your own life. Sometimes you be so powerful. 
but let's just admit it, sometimes you don't, right? So is, is that what Ellie was doing? Was she like having this perceptive, early stages perception into uh, the nature of Christian paradox and Christian experience, right? Here, here's what we're gonna see this morning is you think about what is Christian power? What is it for? What's God's power from his spirit for? And here's what we're going to see this morning. God's spirit is given to every believer so that we have power to love one another and to live on mission. It's power for compelling community and power for compelling Mission. It's both of those interrelated work. That's the book of Acts. Compelling community, empowered by the Spirit, bringing renewal to the world in Jesus' name through the proclamation of the gospel. In a word, that is what Acts is all about. Really, Acts 1 verse 8 is the, the, the events program of the entire book of Acts. And we're going to see that as we study it. So what's going on in Acts? Acts chapter 1 is Jesus has been working... In the pages of the Gospels, if you've read the Gospels, Jesus has been at work for three years with his disciples. He's been crucified and buried and then raised on the third day. He has appeared to his disciples for 40 days and now it's their turn, right? The baton is passing. They're inheriting this task that's been given to them. It's a commission given to the church. Jesus has been at work, but the work is unfinished. It's unfinished business for the church. And really, in Acts chapter 1, what we're getting ready for is we're about to attend a commissioning service. And it's the commissioning service of the ages. And we hear two things. We overhear two things. We, we hear it for them, but we also hear it for us. Number one, first of all, receive the baton of mission. Receive the baton of mission. So Acts is, some of you might know this, but so this might be by way of review. Acts is the second volume in a two-volume work by an author named Luke. Does anybody know the name of the first volume that Luke wrote? Luke, yes, (laughs) that's right. So the Gospel of Luke is volume one, and then Luke writes another volume, volume two. Matter of fact, often, often it's called Luke Acts because there's so much symmetry between, there's so much structural agreement between the way that they're laid out. We'll see some of that as we progress along. But interestingly, both volumes that Luke writes, he writes to the same guy. He, there's an addressee at the beginning of both Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. Here's the beginning of Luke's gospel. I'm gonna put it on the screen. Luke chapter one, verse one, Luke writes these words. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, there's his name, the addressee, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So so Theophilus, some believe, was perhaps a high-ranking government official. That might be why Luke addresses him with those words, most honorable Theophilus. 
What I love, though, about the very first words of Luke's gospel is he's not just addressing Theophilus, but he's saying, here's why I gave you all this carefully investigated interviews with eyewitnesses. I gave you all of this, Theophilus, so that, here were the words, I'll repeat them to you, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. In other words, Luke hands him the manuscript, he hands them the record of his gospel about Jesus. And in essence, he's saying, Theophilus, sit down, turn on a reading lamp, and get your life anchored to something that won't move. You need certainty, you need assurance, and this record about the person and work and acts and ministry of Jesus is where you're gonna get it. I'm gonna give you roots in the form of this account. In, in a way, that's a picture of you, isn't it? In the word. Getting roots, committed to him. That's what the word gets done. It gets assurance done. It gets, it gets certainty done. It sends the roots of faith down deeper and deeper. But notice how, so that's how Luke opened volume one, the gospel of Luke. But notice how Luke opens volume two. If you've got your Bible open, otherwise it's gonna be on the screen. Acts chapter one, verse one. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So writing to the same guy, Theophilus, and he's talking about that first book that he wrote, the Gospel of Luke. But notice again, I wrote this about that uh, Gospel account about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. This is in your notes if you're taking notes. Here's the implication. Volume one, the Gospel of Luke, is about what Jesus began to do and teach. Volume two, the book of Acts, is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach, but this time through the spirit-empowered people of God. The spirit of Jesus is poured out on the church and Jesus continues working in the world. He continues doing in the world and teaching in the world, but this time through his people. That's why I said it's a commissioning service. That's going on here in Acts chapter one. Jesus promised, he said, what did he say in the Great Commission? We recite it week after week. I will be what? With you always to the end of the age. So in one sense, Jesus is departing, and in another sense, he's not. In another sense, he's very much going to be with him. In other words, the Holy Spirit poured out on the church makes the risen Jesus present in the life of the people of God, in the life of the church. You think about that, how that unfolds in the book of Acts. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, this won't be news to you. Jesus is present at key moments throughout the book of Acts. So he's present even with his persecuted people. Stephen is being martyred. Stones are flying in his direction and he looks up and who's he looking at? Jesus. Same thing is true when Saul is attacking Christians and who shows up? Jesus knocks Saul down and he says, why are you persecuting me? He's identifying with his church, his people. In a way, you know, as you read through the book of Acts, it doesn't look like Jesus is the main character or even a main actor in the book of Acts because he's not showing up in, a, in all the places. He's, he's mentioned, he's, he's preached about, right? But you see these appearances occasionally. But really, he's only here, in Acts chapter one, he's only here for a few verses and then he vanishes. I mean, he literally disappears above the clouds. Again, though, remember back in the pages of the Gospels when he was still with them, ministering with them prior to his crucifixion, what did he tell them? He said, he said I'm gonna go away. And he, and he adds, 
it's going to be better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Which th- those words would have been incredibly hard to compute for his disciples, right? Especially with unfinished business at hand. So, in other words, they're hearing him talk about going away and, and leaving and all this, right? And they might be thinking, wait, so we've got a mission. There's still work to do. The world is super hostile. Jesus was just crucified 40 days ago, right? Jesus' blood and DNA is still on the pavement from last month's torture, beat down and public execution event. And they're saying, and now you're gonna check out? It, now it's time for you to leave? And you're handing this to us right in this city? You're telling us to wait in this city? This is the most dangerous city on earth. This is the city that killed the prophets. And this is the city that killed our Messiah. And you're about to call us and grab bullhorns and run out into this city? and tell them that you rose from the dead? Bear in mind, Jesus isn't the only biblical hero who vanishes before his work appears to be done. You think about Moses in the Old Testament, the great redemption story, right? Moses brings the people out of Egypt, but the destiny wasn't for them to live in the Sinai wilderness forever. The destiny was what? Promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we're going. God has set up a place, a sweet, sweet place for you. We're leaving Egypt and we're headed somewhere. They're not just saved from something. They're saved towards something. They're saved in the direction that's pushing them toward the future with God. We sang a song in in our church growing up. He did not bring us out this far to take us back again. Y'all familiar with that one? Didn't look like you were feeling it. Uh, (laughs) He brought us out to bring us into the promised land. It was a really awesome song. I guess it wasn't your jam. It was my jam for a while, right? Here's the thing. Israel's rocking out to that song. He did not bring us out this far to take us back again. He brought us out to bring us in. He was taking us somewhere to the promised land, right? So Israel's rocking out to that song until Moses screeches the record and he says, y'all go in. I'm I'm done right here. And they're probably thinking, This is the threshold. Like, Jordan's right there. There's the land. You can hit it with a golf ball. There's the land right there. And he says, y'all going in. I'm going up that mountain. And he gives three speeches that form the book of what we call Deuteronomy. And then he departs up the mountain never to be seen again. It's a departure at the threshold of the promised land. The guy who brought us out isn't bringing us in. What's going on, right? So who carries the mission forward in the in that book, Joshua, he's the new Moses. He steps into those shoes. The spirit of Moses, as it were, falls on Joshua. And here in Acts chapter one, something very similar is happening. It's like Jesus is the greater Moses. He has led us in this exodus, this redemption event, and now the spirit-filled apostles are a kind of collective Joshua. It's the picture. You think about it from the beginning, And we saw this when we studied Genesis earlier this year. We saw that it was God's intention to fill the earth with glory through the agency of image bearers. Sons of Adam and daughters of Eve extending Eden's borders farther and farther, turning wild places into gardens, subduing the earth. That was the task at the very beginning and it's never been left off. Listen, when Jesus rescues you, 
And now I'm talking about conversion. Now I'm talking about the the moment where the Spirit opened your eyes, regenerated you, made what was dead live again. When God did that work in your life, he wasn't finished. He's just getting started. We just walked through a series about the implications of the doctrine of regeneration. What happens when the Spirit moves in? And the answer was 13 weeks of awesome is what we basically looked at. All kinds of amazing things happen in our lives. It's just getting started. What, the, the, the pattern of God's work is he finds the lost, and then what? Then he turns the found into the finders. That's the work we see happening over. He, he rescues us, and then he turns the rescued into the rescue party, right? He's, they're going out and rescuing. He doesn't just make us whole again for our own personal lives. He turns the healed into the healers. That is Acts. Read the book of Acts. That's what you see Happening, it's what you see in Acts. God's favorite story arc is rescue leading to triumph along the path of perseverance. Rescue leading to triumph along the path of perseverance. You hear echoes throughout scripture of these kinds of movements, exodus types of movements, exodus patterns, inheriting the land patterns, restoration of the people patterns. If if you study it carefully, the book of Acts, it has a kind of literary architecture. So if you like to geek out about this, we're just gonna do this for a second, okay? We're gonna nerd out about literary architecture. All right, give me a second. So you, you notice that Luke is doing, he's written both of these volumes. Luke is doing something ancient biblical writers, particularly Hebrew writers, were masters at. Here's something they were masters at. They, they could recount new events in a way that made you think of old events. You know, if you've ever seen Toy Story, I can't remember which one it was, but where Emperor Zerg says, I am your father. And all of us said, there was a guy with a helmet who said, I am your father before, right? And we're, he instantly just hyperlinked us without saying, this is Darth Vader, if you've ever seen. It's not telling you this is Darth Vader. It's a recapitulation, though. It hearkens to something we've seen before. Another guy with another helmet who said surprisingly in a twist ending, I am your father. The Old Testament writers, they were so masterful at this. The New Testament writers were masterful at this. And so Luke maps the story of Jesus from his first volume onto the story of the Jesus followers in his second volume in the book of Acts. It's the same story arc in both volumes. So let me just take you through it for just a second. At a high altitude, there's so much more we could look at. Luke's gospel opens with the birth of Jesus. Acts' gospel opens with the birth of Jesus' people, the church. In the gospel, what happens next? In Luke's gospel, Jesus is baptized and the spirit descends upon him. In Acts, what happens next? Jesus' followers are baptized in water, then the spirit descends upon them. That's happening over and over. It happens in in Jerusalem. Then the same thing happens in Judea and Samaria. Then the same thing happens among the Gentiles and among the nations. It's the same pattern. We've seen it before. And then what? Then the gospel of Luke shows us Jesus in action. Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead. Jesus traveling about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and calling people to repentance and faith. Where does Acts go next? Same thing, the Jesus community. Healing the sick, raising the dead, traveling about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, calling people to repentance and faith. How does volume one end? Luke's gospel. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. There's a disturbance in the temple. 
He's arrested, he's tried, he bears witness before kings and nobles. How does volume two, the book of Acts, end? Paul comes to Jerusalem, disturbance in the temple, arrest in a trial. Paul bears witness to the truth before kings and nobles. We've been here before. It's a recapitulation. That's why we call ourselves Jesus followers. We're going the same way he went. What's the point when Jesus' followers are faithfully representing him in the world, their story will look like his? For good and for ill, for blessing and for hardship in the midst of perseverance. Here's what we see as we study this book together. In the power of the Holy Spirit, the church becomes the body of Christ in the world. In the power of the Spirit, the church becomes the body of Christ in the world. You know, the Messiah's arrival, ancient prophecies about the coming Messiah spoke of him under this description of the servant of the Lord. Most of the New Testament letters open with Paul, a servant of the Lord. Jude, a servant of the Lord. James, a servant of the Lord. His story maps on to our story. It's a commission. John Mayer wrote a song called Stop This Train. It's this really moving song about one generation transitioning to another generation. And John Mayer is kind of writing autobiographically about watching his dad get older and older and older. And he says, I'm not ready for this. He says, Dad, I'm not ready for you to be as old as you are. And I'm not ready for me to be as old as I am. He's saying, stop this train. It's going too fast. It's about the passing of the baton from one generation to another. And he says in the song, our son sang this at his uh, senior graduation banquet and there wasn't a dry eye, right? Just everybody's just losing it left and right, including me. Uh, so, but in the song, one of the lines that, that just so deeply resonates, he says, I'm so scared of getting older. I'm only good at being young. In a way, the book of Acts is, um, is a coming of age story. And they're gonna have to figure some stuff out as they are thrown into the water, right? It's sink or swim. They're thrown into the water, they're gonna have to figure some, some, some stuff out along the way, right? It's interesting. Jesus, in the opening words of Acts, we see that Jesus was with these disciples for 40 days talking about the kingdom of God, right? And then right after Jesus departs, vanishes into the clouds, Peter says, okay, really important business that we have to do. We've only got 11 apostles. We need 12. We need to replace Judas. In one sense, you want to say, Jesus was just here for 40 days. Why didn't he just say, hey, look, let me save you the stress. It's Matthias, Right? <laughs> You're going you're gonna to worry about this all day. You're going to roll dice. Look, let me just tell you who it is. It's Matthias. I'll just save you the effort. No, it's time to grow up. Figure it out. Work it out. Independent. Think about it. Talk about it together, right? Cast lots. See what God's providence decides. But same thing. You keep moving through the story. Paul and Barnabas, they can't get on the same page about this young guy named John Mark. They got to go on another midterm excursion. They can't decide. Do we bring him or do we not bring him? One of them says, we are definitely not bringing him. That's Paul. And, and Barnabas says, we definitely are bringing him. We're giving him a second chance. Yeah, he flaked out the first time, but we're giving him a second chance. Well, wouldn't it be nice if God just says, Barnabas is right. You know, 
I'm just gonna solve this for you. You guys are arguing like cats and dogs down there. Let me just tell you which way to go. They're gonna have to work it out. It's a coming of age story. Grow up. Figure some stuff out, right? The disciples have been good at being young these last three years with Jesus, but it's time to grow up. I saw pictures these past couple weeks in particular of um, small groups posted on social media. I saw pictures of some of our students serving in our community. I saw pictures of people gathered around in small groups, Bibles open, discussing the word of God. And I look at that and I'm, here I am studying Acts 1 and just thinking, look at us being the people of God. Look, look at Jesus, the risen Jesus, continuing to do and to teach in the world. His work continues. The work isn't done. It continues. And he's using the likes of us. Right? Sometimes we feel like we're stumbling forward, but Jesus is using the likes of us. Jesus continues to do and teach through you, through us. Acts 1 is a commissioning service, twist ending, your commissioning service. <laughs> so receive the baton of mission and second, bear witness to the rule of Jesus. Bear witness to the rule of Jesus. Again, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse eight is a preview of the movements in the book of Acts. How many of you have ever gotten a band tour t-shirt? Okay, a few people. All right, so, and it's got, usually on the back, it's got all the locations, sometimes the dates, you know, August, Nashville, you know, next month. It's just all the different places that it goes. And here, in a sense, you get this apostolic band, right? Tongues of fire, whatever you want to call it. Apostolic band there in Acts chapter one. And, and the tour stops are listed, the tour stops are listed right there in verse eight. And really, if you look at kind of big picture, you fly over the book of Acts and you've got three stops and they're right here in verse eight. So if you break Acts into its segments, chapters one through eight is the gospel goes to Jerusalem. Chapters eight through 12 is the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 to 28 is the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. It was all in now, it was all on the program, it was all on the t-shirt. Verse eight is the tour t-shirt of the gospel band. Verse eight isn't just pointing to places on a map though of where the gospel's gonna go. The next point is this, the apostles receive Israel's commission to be a light to the nations. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament in verse eight. He's quoting three different Old Testament passages, all found in, in Isaiah's prophecy. So the spirit being poured out is language he's drawing straight from Isaiah chapter 32. The you are my witnesses is drawn straight from Isaiah chapter 43. The salvation reaching to the ends of the earth is language drawn straight from Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49 verse 6. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And the point is very clear of what Jesus is saying. By pulling these words from Isaiah into the present, he's saying it's time. It's conquest time is now. Light bearing to the nations time is now. Isaiah's prophecies concerning Israel and the nations are being fulfilled. That's what Jesus said. That's why he says it can't be 11. That's the wrong number. 
It's got to be 12. Symbolic Israel is being rebooted. It's got to be a full set. <laughs> 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Let's do this, right? The book of Acts is a 28-chapter theology course on the God who keeps his promises. How many of the people by this time in history have thought, I guess it's not going to happen, right? And even them, they ask him one more question. Hey, one more question before you leave. Is now the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus kind of punts on the question. He says, look, let's not talk about dates and times, but you're going to get power. And then you're going to be that light that we've been talking about for 700 years. Book of Acts is this comprehensive, glorious statement about the promise-keeping God. It's not just true on the corporate scale, it's true on, on the personal side of things. Think about it for your own life. You sing that song in the back of your head. He did not bring you out this far to take you back again. He brought you out to take you in to the promised land. You have a future. Look, the, the work of God in our lives isn't just salvation from, it's salvation to. It's comprehensive. It's salvation for our past. It's salvation that covers our guilt, covers our shame, forgives our sins, and gives us hope to move us forward. New Jerusalem belongs to us. God is our inheritance. It's glorious. William Cooper, the great hymn writer, he wrote these words about about how we live in this moment where it's hard to see God's hand at work sometimes. And here's what he wrote. God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Look, I, I know friends who are clinging to a truth like that, like it's the one anchor for their soul like it's all they have. Hold me fast, keep me, keep your word to me, be present with me in this darkness, right? The best thing, friend, Christian friend, let me say to you, the best thing that you can do this week in the face of suffering and disappointment and trial is trust God's plans. And when you struggle to trust God's plans, Trust God's heart. He is good. He is faithful. He will be with you. He won't let you go. You know, the last time Israel was at a threshold of the promised land in Deuteronomy, things didn't go so well. You familiar with how that story unfolded? Moses says, I'm about to peace out. This is it. This is the end for me. He's writing those, those speeches in Deuteronomy. He says, I'm leaving. A couple things. Be faithful. Be a light and don't forget what the Lord has done for you. Don't forget the mighty deeds of God. And what happens? They go in, they're not faithful, they're not a light, and they forgot his mighty works. And here we are at the threshold again. It's Israel's story rebooted and Jesus pulls in language from the Old Testament and says, now it's time. But this time, you will be my witnesses. You will remember the gospel, you're gonna proclaim it to the ends of the earth. Notice that language, you might wanna underline it. Be my witnesses. So, so what does that mean? That's, that's legal language, that's forensic language, that's courtroom language, a witness testifies in a courtroom. In Isaiah, 
So that's where that language is drawn from. In Isaiah, among other places and among other things, God is doing something that I think is awesome. God is putting the idols of the world and the nations on trial in the book of Isaiah. Here's, here's one example, Isaiah 41, 21. Submit your case, says the Lord. Present your arguments, says Jacob's king. Let them come and tell us what will happen. Tell us the past events so that we may reflect on them and know the outcome, or tell us the future. So come on, foreign gods of the nations, come and tell us what's about to happen next. Display the fact that you've got sovereignty over all the nations of the, he's saying, idols, call your witnesses, your witness. Call your witnesses. And they, but God then says, he says, idols, they can't call witnesses because they have mouths, but they can't speak. So it makes calling witnesses very difficult. Right? It makes calling witnesses very challenging. So they have no witnesses. That's why it's basically, again, it's kind of smack talk. Call your witness. The one, call the ones that testify to your creative power and sovereignty. The, the problem, though, of the Old Testament is God calls Israel to be his witnesses, but they're in the same state as the nations around them. And God would even say through the prophets, he says, the ones who look to blind idols become blind. The ones who look to idols that can't speak, can't speak. The ones who look to idols that can't hear, can't hear. You become like the ones to whom you look. Spiritually blind and deaf and mute. And so the Israel story from the Old Testament maps onto the book of Acts because what do you see God doing? opening eyes, opening ears, loosing the tongues of his people. He opens Saul's eyes to see Christ. He opens Lydia's ear to hear and receive the gospel. He looses the tongues of his people to proclaim his glory among the nations. He's doing that thing that needs to be done in order for his people to be his witnesses. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, the stunning words on the program of history say this. It's in your notes. The Father is going to show the world his glory in Christ through the power of the Spirit and his star witness is the church. <laughs> Man, Acts is awesome. His star witness is the church. There honorable lives, their stunning generosity and compassion, the power of the gospel they proclaim, the quality of their living and dying is what the Spirit is going to use to wake the world up, to renew the world. Jesus is continuing to do and to teach through the church. You think about it, the task falls to us. Through the church, Jesus is inviting people strapped with guilt and shame to find forgiveness at the cross. Oh, this morning, if you're strapped with guilt and shame, find forgiveness at the cross. The Savior died. Through the church, Jesus is calling more and more Lazaruses out of their graves. Through the church, Jesus is healing the broken, welcoming the outcast, and providing for the needy. That's what you see in Acts. He's not done with you. He's just getting started. He's not done with us. He's just getting started. So, Brook Hills. So now I'm going to talk about where we're headed these next couple of years. You see there in your notes, Too Strong, a church-wide initiative, August 2022 to May 2024. So just give me a few more minutes of your attention. 
So you read through the New Testament and you see the apostles praying for something over and over. And one of the things that they pray for over and over is strength. That we would be strengthened in our inner man, that you would have strength to comprehend the height and width and depth of God's love for you. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So the New Testament, the, the apostles' letters are very interested in the strength of the church, the strength of God's people. And so I want to invite you, and it's really starting this morning, into a two-year journey aimed at making you stronger. Not, not, not just you individually, but aimed at making us as a family as, as a community of faith at making us stronger. So you see there are two years, two emphases. Year one, growing strong as the church. And year two, going strong to our community. So the strength of the people of God in, in the family of God and the strength of our hospitality and neighboring and evangelism and love for those in our community and those around us and in our schools and among our coworkers and so forth. So, that's the kind of, we're going to see those kinds of movements all through as we study the book of Acts. We're going to see a people empowered to what? To love one another with world-arresting affection. It grabs the attention of a watching world the way the church loves each other. Jesus set it up that way, right? A people empowered not only in that way, but a people empowered for mission, a people empowered to reach their neighbors with the good news. So we're going to study Acts and some other parts of Scripture as well before we're done to dive into some of that. But also, the next point here is special focus studies on Wednesday nights. So four weeks in the fall, and then there will be four weeks in the spring, there will be four weeks in the next fall, and then four weeks in the next spring for you to attend, for your small group to attend. I hope that the room is full. I hope we've got a lot of people who are able to attend. And what's the goal of that? Where we, whoever's there on those Wednesday nights, we're diving deeper into ecclesiology and missiology, into what is the church and what does the church do, what is the mission and what do we do in the mission. So that's all gonna start September 21st is the first class, Wednesday night class on what the church is. It's gonna be very kind of lo-fi. I'm gonna lead us in a hymn from the piano and then we're gonna get to work. We're gonna get our Bibles open and we're gonna go to work on what is the church. And I'm praying for, you see this, deep work, and tangible outcomes. Deep work and tangible outcomes. So what do we wanna see? We wanna see the kinds of things that happen in the book of Acts, where people are saved, and where saved people end up testifying in the waters. So salvation leading to baptism, so you get this new life picture. And then attendance moving to belonging. So you get this church membership picture, the health of membership. What if by this time next year, a lot of people who had been attending committed, covenanted together and said, you're my people. You're my brothers and sisters. I'm here. Tendence to belonging and then consistent and deep fellowship. So joining small groups. What if next year, big audacious goal, what if everybody in the church was in a small group by this time next year? And then what if those small groups were all going deeper and deeper and deeper in friendship and fellowship and in the word and in prayer and in community? And then this last one, our kids grasping the church and the mission for themselves. Isn't that, isn't that exciting to us? Right, to, to, to imagine our children being caught by these glorious truths and saying, 
man, I love being a part of something bigger than myself. I wanna be a part of God's mission through the church. We've got unfinished business. We've got glorious business to be about. So Brook Hills, let's be about it. Let's be about it together.